Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. I am here with your other co-host, Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Hello. Um, we are both, like Mac Heath, back in town. But before we get into Bobby Darren's Mac the Knife, we have a listener voicemail to discuss. Listener. Hi, Mark and, Hi, Mark and Sarah. This is Heather Moss. My girlfriend and I took a drive on this beautiful spring afternoon listening to music. And it struck me that Wrapped Around Your Finger by the Police is a quintessential fair-weather song for me, despite no thematic relevance in the lyrics. So I'm wondering if there's a similar song for each of you that you love hearing outdoors on a gorgeous day for reasons you can't quite identify. Thank you so much, Heather. Um, I hope that we are interpreting your question correctly but I kind of went in a direction with it that was like what is a beautiful song for a beautiful day that actually is not about anything beautiful but is actually sort of rather sad or dark um whether or not that was your actual question that's the answer you're getting from me because I had an immediate visceral response uh as to what as to what my answer would be and it is a song from the Sundays third and sadly as of this writing final album static and silence the song is called homeward um it really is beautiful it's a beautiful song to have on in the car at um like the magic hour like twilight um but i think it really is a song about about loneliness and sort of the emptiness of an actual home once one person has has left it um and the the lyrics are gorgeous but they're very sad there's a line that goes as night falls i hear voices on the radio i'll follow their dreams and wake up alone Mm. um but harriet's voice is so beautiful that you know you might feel a little wistful but it is also a a good a good song for a, a beautiful day even though it's not about any beautiful day that the sundays are having uh mark what was your response for this one Okay, my immediate response when I heard this voicemail was a Dar Williams song called What Do You Love More Than Love, which is a song about the singer's attempt to embrace a spirit of Buddhist detachment in a world that feels increasingly beset by materialistic concerns. Mm-hmm. But it has such a great chiming guitar line in it and such a great vocal performance by dar williams that it makes me very happy and on a sunny day i just love walking around saying what do you love more than love oh what do you love more than love and you know it's kind of a weird thing to be enjoying as you're trying to just enjoy that it's like 75 degrees outside because it's a pretty philosophically dense pop song but i don't (laughs) care and um as a coda i will just add that today uh, as we're recording this is a beautiful day in new york city and as i was uh, as i was walking back from the grocery store i happened to have shuffle up into my ears roxette's fading like a flower 
<laughs> which is a very sad song about a pathetic love that nonetheless is incredibly powerful and catchy and puts me in a very good mood. And I was very happy to be listening to that in the sunshine today. Well, and the song that we're about to talk about is our main, our primary topic today does sort of have that, um, uh, that dichotomy that it's Ooh, like, yes, hey, it does. Oh, serial killer, snap, hey, bada bing, boing. But, like, okay, okay. But before we get to that, I think we should just say, Heather, thank you so much for being our very first voicemail on air here at Mastis. Yes. And Sarah, if people want to leave us a voicemail that we might play in a later episode, what number should they call? Uh, they should call 646 389 That's 646 389 And hey. <laughs> believe me when I tell you, it took an hour on Google Voices setup screen trying to find something that we could that had had like initials that were on point and i did it so if only to congratulate me please call us (laughs) but sarah as you also did just allude to today's song which is a song that i brought to the table is bobby darren's recording of mac the knife which originally appeared in the musical the three penny opera but very quickly escaped the bounds of its origins and became an American standard. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this song is that I have been obsessed recently with this fabulous series on the website Stereo Gum, in which the writer Tom Bryhan, every single day, Monday through Friday, is analyzing the number one songs in America uh, in chronological order, meaning he started all the way with Ricky Nelson's Poor Little Fool in 1958, and he's doing another one every day until he gets to the end. Uh, He's currently... Yeah, it's amazing. He's been doing it... We will link to that in the show notes if anyone else wants to start the beginning, which I now must do. But anyway, please continue. You really must. And this series had been running for almost two years before I was even aware of it, and he is currently in the mid-70s. He just did... um, uh, uh, Benny and the Jets was one of the ones ah. that he did this week. And also the uh, MFSB TSOP that we've talked about on a previous episode. Oh, yeah. So that's where he is now. But I just discovered this like four weeks ago and have binged through all of the entries. Because what's also so great is at the end of each write-up, he gives each song a number grade on a scale of 1 to 10. Mm-hmm. So you get this really cogent analysis, and then you get the thrill of a ranking at the end. Oh, God, it's like everything I want. (laughs) So one of the points that he made uh, about a lot of the early hits of the 50s is that they were surprisingly violent. There are a lot of actual murder ballads that reached number one, and Mac the Knife is the most obvious example because it was number one for nine weeks. But there are also songs like Stagger Lee, um, mm. El Paso by Marty Robbins. There's a lot of violence. And I thought that he made such a brilliant point, which is don't let anyone try to tell you that gangster rap is the place that brought violence into American popular music. And I thought that's so true. Like, it's actually really fucking hypocritical to say that gangster rap is uh, has ter- made music violent. It's just that the music sounds as violent as the content is what I would say, which mm. disoriented and upset some people. But if you listen to a song like Mac the Knife, which we're about to do uh, in a sample, I think you'll hear that 
this is as gory as any song that ever, ever got released by a gangster rapper. So here is a sample of Bobby Darren's recording of Mac the Knife. Now on the sidewalk, uh-huh, uh-huh, ooh, Sunday morning, uh-huh, lies a body just oozing life. And someone sneaking round a corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just, it's there for the way to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. Not to hear about Louis Miller. He disappeared, babe. After drawing out all his hard-earned cash. So um, we have... Yeah. If I may. Yes. Someone who also has a true crime review podcast. <laughs> This is like a this is a disorganized presentation serial killer who <laughs> here's my favorite part about this that he's listing at some point in the towards the end of the song people who need to look out for Mac the Knife. Yes. And it's like this dude is not that good at this. Like he's scary, but like he's not a sniper. Like he's pretty sloppy. He's dropping bodies like in daylight. Everybody's like, five will get you ten, old Mac Heath's back in town. Like, yeah, I think everybody knows that it's Mac the Knife. Don't don't go out. Eventually, he's going to get his ass caught up. So <laughs> it's, just, it's just funny to me that part of the... First of all, there's the, um, uh, there's the gap between the tone and the content, which is extremely gory. But then yes, there's which... the fact that he's not even all that... Like, the jaunty tone actually makes more sense when you listen to the lyrics and you realize that this guy is eventually just going to, like, lunge at someone and miss and fall, and then the cops will come and everybody's going to be fine. <laughs> is it? Is it me? No, you're right. And that actually feeds in perfectly to the song's origins in the Three Penny Opera. And before we go any further, I should also just say I, it's just hitting me how this song touches on every single one of our combined interests because there's true crime there's popular music there's global theatrical history there's uh performed uh irony it's like everything that we like <laughs> all rolled and up into one character mckeith first shows up in the beggars opera in like the yes. 18th century no yes that's okay yes so Here's the potted history of this. Uh, <laughs> I love of, that phrase. Of everything that brought us up to this song. In 1728, John Gay was given the task by a theatrical director and producer named John Rich to create what it was ironically called a Newgate pastoral, which was an idea that was originally floated by Jonathan Swift. So that lets you know the level of uh, badassery that was involved with the creation of this thing in 1728. Now, a Newgate pastoral means. A pastoral is an idyllic, romantic uh, uh, play, drama, ballad, what have you, that creates 
the 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 image of a shepherd is sitting next to a sheep and everything is beautiful and lovely. Now, Newgate was a prison that, especially during this period in British history, was infamous for its terrible conditions in London. So the very notion of a Newgate pastoral is quite Swiftian in its irony. And then when uh, John Gay was given this assignment, he decided to use popular ballads of the time instead of uh, doing a traditional opera of his own. So this is also a comic opera, meaning that these horrible criminals would do their shitty things to each other. Then they would stop and sing songs that were parodies, basically, of popular songs at the time. So the whole show is mocking the so-called high-class opera by forcing doggerel popular songs into the mouths of of shitty criminals and passing it off like it's high art. So the level of archness here is hard to overstate. Now, The Beggar's Opera was a massive success. There is a trope that says, uh, because again, it was John Gay and John Rich. They say, The Beggar's Opera made Rich Gay and Gay Rich. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was a huge hit. It was remained very popular for a very long time. It still gets produced quite regularly today uh, throughout the world. And eventually, Brecht and Weil, Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weil, reframed the story of the Beggar's Opera into the Three Penny Opera, which, again, the idea of a cheap opera, Three Penny Opera, like uh, high culture for a low price. And they reframed it as an opportunity to explore some of their own frustrations with capitalism and violence and what have you. But they kept the concept of giving these shitty characters these songs. And Kurt Weil wrote the songs himself this time instead of parodying uh, existing songs. But the characters also remained largely the same. Polly Peachum, uh, Mac Heath, who is one of the lead criminals in the original story, shows up here. And Mac the Knife was written about him. Then, somehow, in the magic of culture... The song Mac the Knife was lifted out of a Brecht show to become a massive songbook hit. And the fact that Bertolt Brecht has a credit as a songwriter for a number one song is so deliciously satisfying to me that I can barely contain myself. And in the Bobby Darren recording at the end of the song, you will hear him say among the people who need to be watching out is Lottie Lenya who is not a character from the show, but was in mm -hmm. fact an actress and Brecht's lover. And the rumor is that when Louis Armstrong was recording his version of Mac the Knife, he didn't know that Lottie Lenya was just listed on the, uh, the page because she was a cast member. So when he was sort of looking at the various texts around him, he was just saying, look out, Lottie Lenya. And the, the story goes that his decision or his his mistake then sort of put the her name into this song permanently and bobby darren copied louis armstrong that all may be apocryphal but the fact of the matter is lottie lenya is a real person or was a real person who is in there with all the other characters from the three penny opera so this song is not only a body oozing with life it is a song oozing with theatrical history um i would also add that by giving this um, sort of mythological character or like um, not mythological, but mythic character um, making, you know, this kind of murderer specific mm -hmm. um, is sort of a reflection of the fact that 
other legendary murderous creatures that are cons- that are considered supernatural werewolves vampires um uh the will of the wisp um not the will of the wisp well that too but like the wendigo that kind of thing these all derive from a time before um serial killers and psychopathy and all those things were uh, like even apprehended much less comprehended which is like that's any time before 1970 but basically many of the these sorts of legends were made because members of human society who relied on each other in small communities at al were not um sort of psychologically prepared to deal with the idea that a human being could do these things to another human being right so right. they made up these legends to explain um behavior that was too horrible to grasp like even the jersey devil is is this it's like a sociological construct designed to forcibly avert the eyes from the fact that your neighbors are rustling your cattle so that everyone continues to get along there's like this harpy it's like literally a harpy the new jersey devil but it, it kills your sheep. Like, a, it's just a way of like getting your mind around something that couldn't be gotten around. Um, unfortunately, uh, here in 2019, we have a much better grasp of the, you know, the Bundys and, and Gacy's of the world, but that there's this longitudinal, um, evolution of the character through these plays and songs that were changing the way that we think about which stories go in which media. There's also this character who once upon a time probably would have been a a werewolf because of the way that he kills people. Right. Just a little, uh, just a little um, history of profiling for you there. That's so interesting. And to think that he first existed in 1728 when the story of the werewolf was probably quite believable to people in other parts of the world. But in London, where it was harder and harder to look away from the depravity that human beings were capable of, he got to exist as a person instead. And I really feel like I'm going to have to use Werewolves of London as the outro yeah, there's almost um, no that option at Z- this point. Zivon is like commenting on all of this, and he's like, his hair was perfect. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> yeah, like now werewolves are just among us at Trader Vic's. Okay, so anyway. now all of that leads us to something that you've already touched on. It's a very common theme for us here on Ye Old Mastis, which is, does the sound of the song match the content of the song? And sometimes we feel that it doesn't in a way that we don't like. Sometimes we feel that it doesn't in a way that we do like. What I will say, Sarah, for me, and I'm interested to hear your thought about this, Bobby Darren's sprightly, joyous, slight, suave performance of this song is perfect (laughs) because it is so Brechtian to alienate you from the content that you're hearing. Now, it's ironic because... It's possible that people will hear this song and not really pay attention to the lyrics and never actually understand what it's about. But that alienation from the lyrical content by making the music sprightly is the type of shit that Brecht pulled all the time in his theater. So for me, it's delicious. Uh, I really like it, too. 
And I think my reasons may not have read at the time. Um, And I will explain that I think that there is this, we didn't hear this in the clip, but um, Bobby Darren had a beautiful instrument and that last note is a hell of a thing. Like it's, (laughs) there's like a whole other verse basically in there, but it's not overdone. Um, But it's, it's like a big, it's like a big finish. Um, like, okay, like everybody, like lock up your women and children. Mackie's back. Like for 20 minutes, he's like (laughs) holding that last note and you're like, well, uh, phrasing, but I think it, I think it works throughout the song. But I also think that I'm bringing some, not recency bias, but like, I think there is a glorification of the criminal and of the oh, criminal yeah. milieu and of the um, attraction of stories about gangsters and murderers that is um, that is something that you see, I think, in a lot of successful shows. It's not just that it's sort of well-written on the episode level and you're getting good performances, production design, whatever, but that you're being brought into a world that you have no occasion to know anything about otherwise – and you get to just watch what happens in a New Jersey mob family, in a like accidental Albuquerque drug empire, in um, in the world of uh, the inner city of Los Angeles where NWA is living. Yeah, or The Wire, or uh, I mean, Smash. Even like it doesn't always have to be dark. Um, hey, Adam Grossworth, that one's for you. But I, I think that this is perhaps a fun, like his um, his storytelling style in this song is perhaps a function of what was popular at the time, uh, and or making this song about like a basically crazed stabber palatable for the pop ear. But I think it's also like you know, this kind of, this kind of figure culturally has always been a dark star going back to Milton or the Bible. So I think it's a smart take on it because what are his other alternatives? Like make it into this minor chord dirge where he's lecturing people not to get stabbed. Like that's not effective storytelling. So I like it. I think it works. Huh. I feel like it is possible. I would I would be very interested to hear someone's Marilyn Manson take on Mac the Knife. But I think that you might be right. It might feel like gilding the the lily in additional blood. Like we don't actually need the gore here because in the sound. But see now I'm getting myself tied up in all sorts of knots because I keep going back to that point about gangster rap and I keep coming back to the fact that I think one of the reasons people were so upset about gangster rap and continue to be upset about violent music that sounds violent is that it forces you to comprehend it immediately, the the things that are being discussed. And mm. also there's the extra level of these artists are talking about things that they've witnessed themselves and it's impossible to get lost or at least it's not impossible, but it's harder to get lost in the pleasure of music when the music sounds like the horrible reality of the musician's own experience. 
Whereas this is a song that lets us indulge our craven hunger for violence, but in such a way that our ears and toes are, our ears are soothed and our toes are invited to tap. And I just think that's fascinating to think about because you're so right that, of course, we've all always had a bloodlust. We all, in some level, are attracted to figures that can break out of the Apollonian constraints of society and behave in a Dionysian way. But when you package it in a pretty song or you package it in a play that is set in the classical era or whatever, you're making it somewhat safer. And Well, and in a, you know, a consumptive white guy in a white dinner jacket, like, let's, you know, let's be ungenerous to critics and Tipper Gore for a moment. Right. When I, when that I, even if you really are concerned that this material is not appropriate for 12-year-olds, like, your rationale for that is not necessarily... Like, oh, well, you know, we don't necessarily want you to know that other kids your age are being killed and don't go to school because they have to they have to be drug runners for their families to survive or whatever. Like, this is a race issue. Yeah, uh, hands down. Absolutely. So Hmm. I'm wondering if we should talk about I'm sorry. Did you did you finish that last thought? I feel like I cut you off before you were. You are correct. Of course it is a race issue. And then what I was about to go to was then thinking, maybe this song isn't as Brechtian as I thought, because Brecht's purpose theatrically was always to use the alienation to make you less comfortable and to then have to confront things in uh, society that allow this disorienting bullshit to happen. And this is perhaps the actual inverse of Brecht's achievement because, of course, when you see this song performed in a production of the Three Penny Opera, the smiling cruelty of it is much harder to ignore. It's oh, so interesting. And so, yes, then I guess in a way But, I it mean, does when pro- was the song... When did this song chart? Like 60... 58, 59, 66, somewhere in the okay, late 50s, Okay, so I think 60s. that you could absolutely argue... That there was a general Brechtian remove in post-war American pop culture that was much more concerned with um, bounty, space-age efficiency, prosperity, and was at, like, having a huge car that you could, that was like a two-bedroom with fins and got two miles a gallon, and here's this machine that washes your dishes for you so that you housewives can drink more during the day and was keeping you at a remove from, you know, post-traumatic stress suffered by veterans. Um, the end of agrarian culture, like whatever you think the the 50s issues were, and they were myriad. I know I joke about being old, but I was not there. and can't really say, but it's like, you know, that I think that's a sort of Brechtian situation is the 50s. I guess that's really interesting because if you look at it through that lens, then you could perhaps argue that the reason that so many murder ballads were popular in the late 50s and early 60s is because they gave safe, easily comprehensible 
release to the chaotic post-war feelings that many people in the country had. You could let yourself vent some of your own inchoate, violent rage through songs like this. And it was actually didn't feel like society was going to fall apart because it was this like well-coiffed entertainer who was in a dinner jacket. And it's worth noting that they weren't always white. Uh, Staggerly's reached number one in mm. the hands of a black performer. But but it's just something about like the con- it was contained chaos in a way that maybe felt pleasing to people who were going through uh, such a chaotic time. And it makes me think, honestly, now in our own chaotic time, someone should probably go ahead and record the Jonas Brothers version of Mac the Knife and see how that does. <laughs> yeah, or the like Rockapella version. Yes. The Barbershop Quartet. <laughs> I don't want to, however, speed by the fact that on a very different level, I just really get a kick out of Bobby Darren's performance of this song. And that little eek sound that he makes after oozing life is just perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of want to talk about, well, I don't know if I do want to talk about it because this was like, this biopic was a passion project of Kevin Spacey's. Well, yeah. So Beyond I the just sea. think it's like speaking of criminals, uh, but I mean, I I think it's interesting that this fit, first of all Bobby Darren who died at thirty nine um is not a tragic figure I guess but like gone too soon and so on and so forth but you do wonder what attracted Spacey in terms of feeling I think very connected to this man's attempts to make his art and to be who he was in the world. Mm. And it's like, but you like, is this some kind of wish fulfillment? Is this something where he just wanted to sing? Cause I don't think he'd sang in the movie, which I didn't watch. Cause I was like, Kate Bosworth, fuck out of here. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's sort of interesting that it's like why why him? And then that was a big flop and that was before we really knew for sure that that Spacey was a predator. So it's sort of interesting to think of Kevin Spacey bebopping along to Mac the Knife and being like, All right, we'll talk about a talk about a gap between the performance and the person. Ooh. Yeah. Damn. Well, everyone, society's fucked. That's true. <laughs> but Mark we, and we Sarah used, talk we, about We stuff. said Brechtian. We said Apollonian. Yeah. We said Kevin Spacey. Oh, God. Sorry. I might just cut that whole part. <laughs> I, I think it's also exciting that for a song that is 60 years old, there's still this much to say and this much baseline enjoyment to be had uh, from thinking about and listening to it. Um, P.S. Well, actually, I have a question for you, Mark. But first, I'm going to say, listeners, where else can you get the word Brechtian, a discussion of werewolves, and Kevin Spacey in a single podcast? 
n- nowhere, I'm guessing. Um, my question is, do you remember what what this rating this got on Stereo Gum? I think he gave it a nine. Mm. Um, he may have actually, or he may have even given it a ten. Actually, hold on, I can look it up really fast. He gave it a nine out of ten. Yes. Yeah. I I think that's about. I think that's about right. Um, all right. Well, listeners, it's been a pleasure as always. Mark, thank you for bringing this to our attention. And now I apparently have a whole shit ton of stereo gum reading to do. Off I go. Writer, he moves his words like a prize fighter. The frenzied pace of the mind inside the cell. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, aka me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Sit all, sit all, sit all, sit all, sit all, say somebody you got to sit all. Somebody got to sit all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.